good to be with you. Good to be back among you on a Sunday. Hang on a minute. Hey, it's like we're on Zoom again. Weird. Anyway, no, no, no one wants that. I know. Um, no, it's great to be with you. I love being with you. I love uh, just, yeah, being in the place. And I went to a prayer meeting in the week. I love that as well. Amy Road. Uh, so good to be there, to be built up by the worship and the prayers of the many, as Tim was saying the other week. And uh, yeah, just being there again. Uh, I sat next to Jen having a chat and I thought, this is this is completely new. This is <laughs> felt completely refreshing for me. So I was glad to be there. And as you know, I've been away on sabbatical, as most of you will know, uh, for a couple of months. And it was really good. I had a really good time. I took a break, uh, some time to think, rest, travel, read a bit as well. And uh, this morning, I'm kind of going to do a two-parter. I'm going to do part one, where I just give you a, a, a reflection, a summary of the themes that came through during that time. And then we are going to look at a Bible passage as well. Um, we love the Bible. So we're going to do that. And uh, I think uh, both parts are going to be encouraging for you. I've already been encouraged by uh, what Megan shared, what um, you were sharing, Amanda, as well. And uh, I just really want to carry on encouraging you and building you up. That's really my heart for you this morning. And so before I do that, I'm just going to pray for us very briefly. Father God, I thank you so much that you're here, that we're people of your presence, that we get to be with you in this moment, in this morning, God. And we invite you, Holy Spirit. Come and speak to us. Come and minister to us. Come and transform us again, we pray, for your glory and our good. Amen. Amen. So themes that came through on sabbatical were faithfulness, as in God's faithfulness, family, God's family, and prayer was the third one. And I'm just going to speak a little bit on each, um, starting with God's faithfulness. And during the couple of months, uh, it was revealed to me in a new way just how faithful our God is. I pulled out my old journals from 10 years ago, and, uh, and I started to, to read through them. And 10 years ago, Dale taught me how to journal. He, he said, take an A5 notebook, uh, read a psalm a day, and just write down your reflections, your thoughts, your gripes, whatever you want to talk to God about. Just jot down a page if you can. If you miss a day, don't worry about it. You know, it's covered by God's grace. So thank you for that, Dale, because uh, I've managed it for 10 years and I have a whole drawer full of books uh, of, of notes and journal. And I thought, goodness me, this is something I've got to go through. And as I went through, um, I'd written in big capital letters the word gold for whenever God had answered a prayer or done something miraculous or, or moved in some way in my life. And I, I started going through them and typing them into a Google Doc uh, so that I don't lose them and so that I can go back over them another time perhaps. And uh, some patterns started to emerge as I went through these journals. In the early years, uh, sort of 2011 to 2015, um, one slightly embarrassing pattern that came through was the frequent requests I made for a wife. Uh, every two weeks, roughly, in my journal, there was this request of, oh, I would really like to. So I'm sorry if you were here during that time and you just prayed as hard as you could that I would meet someone so I would just shut up and stop talking about it. And uh, God is faithful. He answered my prayer. Hallelujah. Uh, so praise him for that. Uh, another pattern that, was, uh, that came through was notes to self. And uh, I was surprised how often I, I wrote a note to my future self uh, to encourage my future self about things. Um, I'll give you a couple of direct quotes just as an example. I wrote to myself in 2012, Simon Quincy of the future. Do not forget this if you are reading it again. God will renew your mind, body, soul each day because he is faithful and he loves you. Who cares if you're getting old and gray? He loves you. Quote to myself, God's faithfulness there. And again, and, and I don't know who I was writing to when I wrote this, but I wrote, 
if you, future generations, read this in years to come, recognize the fact that God is faithfulness and his faithfulness is great. You may gain scars and go through troubled times, but stay true to the one and only God. Keep his word in your hand and the Holy Spirit alive in you now in your heart. God bless, Simon Quincy. So I don't know who I was writing to at the time. I don't think my journals are going to be published anytime soon. Um, But there you go, a snapshot just of how keen I was to tell my future self, God is faithful, God is faithful, God is faithful. Don't forget it. And it's funny and it's fun reading back. It's like I always knew I would listen to myself. Uh, And I must in this case because it was all about God's faithfulness. And among other things, uh, my journals highlighted some headlines of of where God moved. And so here's a couple of, a few examples of gold in my journal. There was gold when he answered prayers again and again, and it sometimes took years for them to be answered. There was gold when he healed our young people at Impact and saved them at New Day, including Megan and many others. And uh, there was gold when people responded to the gospel. And I've only got up to 2014 so far. And even since 2011, 16 people from among us responded to the gospel in that period. And, and so there's more to come. I'll, I'll give you the full stats if you want them at some point, if you can. He brought people jobs in that time. He spoke prophetically over us as a church during that time. He set people free through things like freedom in Christ. He inspired different charismatic gifts to come among us. You don't know how much detail I've gone into about writing about the things that some of you have done on a Sunday morning and how much it's encouraged me. So be encouraged by that. And he has sustained me and upheld us through grief-filled times. That, again, another thing coming through. God's so faithful in times of trouble. And again, my journal uh, depicts this. And uh, the best thing uh, is that towards the end of that time of going through these journals, and it's not finished yet, God again spoke through him to him and said, you know what, I can do all of that again and more. So there is so much more for us to look forward to in the next 10 years. And God is faithful. He's been with us in the past and he will be with us into the future, tomorrow and onwards. So that was the first one, God's faithfulness. The second theme that came through was family. And uh, Sophie and I and the boys, we had a good time. We went away to Selby, uh, had a really nice rest at the start of sabbatical. And then we came back and we got pinged by the NHS app. Now, I don't know where you stand on it, and I don't really mind, but I was so cross when it happened to me. I had all these plans in my head. I'm going to go and do this. I'm going to go and do that. I'm going to meet that person in that first week of sabbatical. Nope, all the table was just cleared of all my things. And, uh, you know, I obeyed it. I stayed in. I tried praying in the bedroom. I tried studying a bit. But I did very little of what I intended to do in that first week. So anyway, that week passed, felt like I'd processed it, got over it, gone through it with God a couple of times, you know, okay, okay, rest of the battle, you know, it'll go to plan, it'll be all right. Got pinged again in August, uh, cleared the whole schedule again, and you're thinking, why didn't you just delete the app? Well, I was trying to be uh, helpful. I I even sat away from people, so I was pretty frustrated when this happened. So the first time I was cross, the second time I was furious, and uh, had to rearrange everything. Uh, shook my fist at God, you know, like sometimes you do in prayer. And, uh, and after I calmed down, after I kind of said this out loud, I am angry, I am angry. I just sat on my sofa. I just kept saying, I'm angry about this. God just said, look, Simon, you need to remember that time at home with your family is a gift. Cherish them. Don't despise the time I've given you together. Oh, I felt properly ticked off by this. I felt properly rebuked. And I thought, wow, that is 
that is humbling. And he revealed to me that, look, I've given you two weeks at home with this family of yours. And as I began to kind of let this sink in, I realized how important time with family is. I've, I've been one to the understanding in this time that as a parent raising children uh, is hard, but it's important that we disciple them to be godly. And uh, time is essential to that. And I've begun to draw parallels again in, in prayer between the family I experienced during those two weeks of pingage, pingage, don't be the word, and the, and the two weeks and the time we spend here together as a family. I look around and I think family now. I think family, family. I think you've got a new baby. Uh, you've got people uh, who are sending kids off to university. You've got people who've been saints for such a long time. It's great. We are, we're a unit. We're together. And some of those thoughts are still developing and still working out in, in my mind and heart. But I couldn't help noticing as I had conversation after conversation with different people in the two months and since, and I read books, that I, the, the phrase church family, family, started jumping out at me all over the place. And so be encouraged, church family. The theme of family is close to God's heart, and it's a gift for us to explore together. So that's the second one. The third one is prayer. I went on retreat a couple of times during sabbatical. I went to Crowhurst, I went to Nottingham, and uh, across those two months, I made a point of asking um, those Christians that are older than me who I met, uh, what they would have done differently in their time if they had it again. And on the first retreat to Crowhurst, um, I met a guy called um, David, and he was a chaplain, and he'd been church planting for 25 years. And I asked him this, and he, he pondered, you know, like, like really wise people do. They, they ponder. They don't answer straight away, and I, this is something I need to work on, and I recognize that. But he pondered it. He thought about it genuinely, and he, he responded to me. He says, well, while we were away we always tried to do so much to win people to the gospel. If I did it all again, I would do less and pray more. And that was just another thing that hit me so hard was do less, pray more. It really set the tone for the rest of the sabbatical. It set the tone. And uh, as I prayed, uh, I did less. Most days after that day, I uh, ended up praying more. I spent the morning praying. And once again, as you're probably noticing, I didn't get barely anything that I wanted to do done in terms of practical stuff or study. And that's, that's okay because God just wanted to lead me into praying more. He just wanted to spend time with me. I used the Lord's Prayer. I prayed Psalms through. I prayed scriptures through. I chatted casually and talked with Jesus. It was, it was great. And it seems appropriate to share that after a week of prayer where we've just spent our evenings praying more and doing less. And I want to continue that trend uh, if I can. So be encouraged by that. Prayer is important, effective, it's powerful, and, uh, and yeah, we, we can do more of it, which is good. So uh, in summary, they're the themes, God's faithfulness, family, prayer. I uh, spent uh, lots of that time, like I say, meeting people. Uh, you can ask me any questions you like about that time. I've got a great story about a National Trust staff member in a National Trust car park. So you can ask me about that if you want to. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm around for that. I can, I've got loads of stuff I could talk about, but that's just a summary. So thank you so much for supporting me in that and doing that. And uh, I really appreciate uh, being able just to feed back a little bit and give you some, uh, a glimpse of the, of the themes that came through. Okay, so we're going to transition now to part two. Uh, enough about me and my journals. Uh, let's get into the Bible. Um, and I hope you feel encouraged already. Do you feel encouraged? Good, good. Because we're going to be encouraged more in Philippians 4. Um, by the Apostle Paul. He's got some more encouragements for us. And the context uh, for this book is it's fairly short. 
It's a letter to the church in Philippi, and it's Paul saying to them, guys, I want you to live as a heavenly colony would live. I want you to uh, grow in commitment to serving God and serving one another and reaching people. And uh, it's really his encouragement to them to do that. And Philippi as a city, it was reestablished by Emperor Augustus using Roman army veterans on a, on, a, on a trade route. And there should be a map behind me. You can have a look if you're geeky and into maps like I am. And uh, it was Paul's first church plant into Europe. And he's keen for that family of faith there to grow and keep growing. And so he instructs them to model their lives on him, but also, more importantly, on Jesus. Uh, and then he begins the final chapter with these verses. They're well-known verses. You've probably read them before. And uh, I learnt these verses off by heart while folding the washing. Um, I found a playlist on Spotify that has loads of verses set to music, and I just pressed play, and I folded the washing. And, of course, it takes a long time to fold our washing. So ended up learning a bunch of verses, including these ones. It says... Therefore, my brothers and sisters, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. I entreat Euodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say... Rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So while uh, learning these verses to music and praying over them some more, I noticed a couple of phrases standing out to me, um, but mainly I saw these three encouragements from Paul, and I kind of want to echo them, and uh, I think there's uh, some stuff in them for us as well. So we're going to start with encouragement number one, which is agree in the Lord. And as you read these letters from Paul, I don't know if the same thing happens to you, but when I read them, I pick up the kind of uh, uh, the tone, the emotion behind it, and you just get a real sense he loves this family in Philippi. He says, they're the ones he loves and longs for, his joy and his crown. And he says, stand firm thus in the Lord. And then he goes on to empower them to do so. He calls them to stand united for the sake of the gospel. And then he speaks into this live situation. And it's a bit of an odd passage to preach on in a way, because it's a live situation between Euodia and Syntyche with a true companion as a mediator. And we don't know what the disagreement was about, but we know that Paul wants them to reconcile and like I say, I think there's something in this for us, especially. We've been through a tough time this last 18 months. No one here has ever had to live through a pandemic, I'm pretty sure of that. And whatever your circumstances are, there's a lot of emotion flying around, some anxiety, fear, concern. And so my first encouragement really is the same as Paul's, because as a church, we need to stand firm for the sake of the gospel. And the simple application for this is to prepare ourselves, our hearts, to be sensitive, to forgive one another, and to agree in the Lord, to quote that phrase. And there's been a lot of information out there in the last uh, number of months, con uh, which consequently gives us so much that we could agree on, so much we can disagree on. Things like masks and vaccines and social conduct and climate change and all sorts of other things. And all of that is kind of fodder for the enemy to distract, to deceive, to lead us into disagreement with one another. But we must lean on God to help us prevent those worldly challenges 
causing confusion among us, causing relational breakdown. And it truly is a battle for the mind, which must be won if we are going to agree in the Lord. And I just want to say this. If, you, if you've been caused to feel uncomfortable or, or shame or guilt or hurt by words or insensitive actions by someone online or in person, well, then I, I want to encourage you to forgive. I want to bring you to a point where you can hold it up to God and say, God, this is how I'm feeling about this, and this is what they said, and this is what I think, and I don't think I agree. And I just want to choose to forgive them now. I kind of want to lead you into that because we must not let unforgiveness take a foothold among us. That is something we must not do. And if you want to learn more about forgiveness, if you want to get into it a bit deeper, then Freedom in Christ is going to start really soon with the Hunters. They are great. They are great fun. I really encourage you uh, to do that and take it seriously because we, we really mustn't let these little things stay there. Even if it's just a little thing, you mustn't let it just sit in your heart. Choosing to forgive well, it will enable you to draw a line in the sand and focus on the fact that both parties above all can agree in the Lord, in who Jesus is, in what he's done, in, in how much we love him. And, all, and you might well disagree about lots of other stuff, but actually that is the thing we can focus on. That is the person we can hold up and say, okay, forgive you. Let's agree on him. And it might be challenging to breach the subject. It might be a difficult conversation, but it is worth it in the end. And again, we're encouraged to help each other with this. Paul encourages the guys at Philippi to help each other. It says the true translation of the word companion here actually means uh, yoke fellow, which is a word I hadn't heard before. And uh, they can't decide if yoke fellow is the name of the mediator, like a specific name, or whether it's just Paul saying to the whole church, you're yoke fellows, all of you linked together, uh, helping one another along. And that's the way to think of it, really. We're linked together. We are connected as a church, person to person, family to family, as one big family. And when you're yoked to someone, you can prevent them from moving forwards if you hold your ground, and they can do the same to you. And so it really is in our interest to, to help each other in this, to say, uh, to, to come to each other if we notice some kind of root of unforgiveness or bitterness, and gently, kindly, respectfully put an arm around them and say, hey, have, have you forgiven this person? And kind of try and help each other out with it. And that can ha happen in life groups, that can just happen individual to individual. But what we mustn't let happen is unforgiveness to sit and, and just fester there. You see, the enemy of God, Satan and his demons, they actually don't want us to work as a team for the sake of the gospel. I'm sure you were aware of that already. Um, but just to illustrate this, I, uh, I went to a football match in Crawley uh, over the last couple of months. And uh, it was quite fun to be in a big crowd and lots of cheering and all that. But one of the biggest reactions of the night was when two of the opposition players from Salford uh, had a little fisticuff with their own goalkeeper. And oh my goodness, the Crawley crowd absolutely loved it. They, that was just their delight was to see their, uh, the opposition goalkeeper taking on two massive defenders. And, you know, and they were the thing that stuck with me was the laughter. And I remembered the fact that they laughed at the opposition because they just couldn't work it out amongst themselves. Salford went on to lose the game as it happened. But in this instance, it was that laughter that stuck with me. The enemy will laugh at us. If we start infighting, if we start any root of disunity, if we start disagreeing or letting things fester, I just do not want to hear that. I don't want to see that at all happening among us. I'm sure you don't as well. And nor does Paul. I mean, he says to these two women, look, you labored alongside me in the gospel together. He's saying, you're on the same team. Don't fight one another. And they need to agree in the law. That's what he's saying. And so that's the first encouragement. As we gather back together, 
we've got to have our wits about us. We've got to be sharp about this. We can't afford not to. And we have to acknowledge feelings, express them where appropriate. But most importantly, forgive and unite for the sake of the gospel under Jesus. So our second encouragement is to rejoice in the Lord. And uh, we're going to start with, uh, we're going to carry on with this verse, verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. I think we'd agree it's not easy to rejoice in all circumstances. Uh, ever since I settled on this text, um, I felt like my resolve has been tested in this. Uh, we've had the seven verses pegged to a washing line in our room, not a washing line, but like a, a line on the wall where we put some pictures and stuff uh, from the kids. And uh, they've simply caught my eye. Every time there's been a pressing moment or a difficult moment, uh, like when we got pinged or when the children's been unwell and just thrown up and things like that. And when it's 4 a.m. and Daddy wants to play and I just want to sleep and I'm thinking, rejoice in the Lord always. Oh, this is, I don't really feel like rejoicing right now. And it did make me think, though, you know, I, if I'm struggling to rejoice when these minor inconveniences come along, and to be honest, it's temporal, it's minor when kids are doing those things and the ping and things like that. And how am I going to respond when I face a real trial, when I face persecution, when I face great suffering that Jesus said would come with followership of him? How am I going to respond? I just ended up praying, help me, Jesus, because I really, if I, I need your help in this. And I just felt like I had to acknowledge that in the moment. I really don't feel like rejoicing um, at 4 a.m. So what can I do? Well, if agreeing in the Lord together is a battle for the mind, then uh, this one is more to do with the heart. And uh, one way we can keep our hearts right and focused is by worshipping Jesus and talking to him in prayer. And um, I've been listening to audio books lately uh, over the last year, and I listened to a parenting book just recently. And the words that were re reflected or uh, repeated numerous times, more times than I could even count, were acknowledge feelings. And uh, it sounds really simple, but they encourage you to acknowledge feelings of your children. And uh, I just felt like Father God wanted to say, let's acknowledge, like, it's okay to acknowledge your feelings to him. Like, you can feed those feelings back. And I discovered it was really useful to do this when anxiety or anger or guilt came along. Um, telling or showing the Father in heaven that we're feeling something is actually really powerful. Because I don't know about you, but sometimes I can just conceal it. I can just hide it away, not, not bring it to him let those things uh, stir up in there. But I found when I start to acknowledge feelings, um, I can eventually uh, work it through with God. And I think that's what I want to ward you against is, is not acknowledging them, just hiding them away, stuffing them down, because uh, that's really uh, not entirely, not helpful at all. And I found when I started to acknowledge feelings, I could actually find my way back to rejoicing, albeit very slowly, uh, I kind of got there in the end. But there's even more in this latter part of the verse um, that can help our hearts um, be prepared to rejoice in times of trouble. Uh, Paul wants us to lift our gaze. He points to the end of the age when Jesus will return, and he wants us to remember how the story ends. Um, even if we're facing a difficult chapter right now, um, I, he wants to point us to Jesus returning and lifting our gaze to the fact that what is around us is just temporal. I found that the fact he tells them that uh, their reasonableness really is reasonable uh, it was really encouraging. 
because um, when you've got this big picture of God's word, when you know the Bible and you believe it, it truly is reasonable to be able to rejoice when suffering comes, to know that all suffering one day will come to an end, that every tear will be wiped away, to know that all pain will go, even if it's not going to happen right in this moment, brings relief. And it brings perspective. And sometimes it's really hard to find that in the difficult moments. And, uh, you know, we're not promised uh, an easy life as followers of Jesus, but we, we will always have a reason to rejoice that goes beyond the temporal. And, uh, and I know we're just touching on these things. There's so much more we could go into in, into that one. Um, but I just want to raise the gaze again beyond the pandemic, beyond things that are happening around us so we can see Jesus again together. So our final encouragement uh, is to pray. In the next verse, Paul brings an instruction. He says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Paul is quoting Jesus himself from Matthew 6, if you've read that passage, where he told his disciples, do not worry about your life. But sometimes it's not always that simple, is it? It's not always simple not to worry. I spoke to a local cafe owner that we've got to know uh, recently, and she said she'd been sitting down with a customer who was just worried about everything. And she kindly listens to her, but frankly, she said, I can't see what she's worrying about. I find it very difficult to relate. But then she said something really interesting. She said, you know what? There's nothing helpful about coming up to someone and saying, just stop worrying. It just doesn't help. It just doesn't fix it. And I know that myself as a long-term worrier, as a teenager, She's right, and it's, it's all too easy to take those verses there and, uh, and see them as a bit glib or a bit light, but uh, we need to remember who's talking in this. It's Jesus in Matthew 6. It's Jesus, the Son of God, the sovereign God of the universe. It's the one who's outside of time and space, him who's the beginning and the end. It's God, and it's him who we have access to by the Spirit, and it's because of him that the Father God will hear us and we offer these prayers uh, with thanksgiving and bring our requests to him. We don't need to be anxious when we know Jesus because Jesus is God. It's as simple as that. When I spend time praying to Jesus and I spend those mornings walking with him rather than doing stuff, I just found that um, I remembered who was in charge. It, it kind of just reminded me who was in charge. It reminded me of his great power, of his ability and his mercy in the gospel, and it reminded me that actually, do you know what, I don't need to be anxious, and as I've meditated on these verses, I've found myself more relaxed, I've found myself more able not to worry about the future. Once again, however, uh, we do need each other for this, sometimes we're going to need to encourage each other in this, we're going to need to help each other out, and it's okay to feel anxiety, as I said before, you can acknowledge that feeling, that's okay, but actually it also helps to have someone come alongside you and pray a yoke fellow to agree with in prayer, or someone just to snap you back to attention. Do you know what? Sometimes I need that. Sometimes I need a hug. Sometimes I need a bit of a slap. Come on, get back to attention. You need to remember that Jesus is sovereign, that he's gone before you into next week, that he knows what's going to happen. Sometimes I need a bit of that peace and love, um, as you can tell there. But this can lead to rejoicing. It can lead to praying. It can lead to peace. And that's the last verse that we're going to briefly look at. It just says, and the peace... Uh, sorry, it says, when, oh, beg your pardon. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. That peace comes over your mind and it comes over your heart. And they're the two things really at play in the previous two encouragements. 
And my favorite thing about this God's peace is that it surpasses understanding. On a human level, it doesn't make sense. But in a heavenly colony, it does make sense. And a, a commentator called Matthew Henry puts it this way. He says, when such confidence issues grateful prayer, the peace of God, like a soldier, stands sentinel over the heart, more effective than any device of man. God's peace will come. When we pray, a prayer again is a gift to us. It's of God. It's of his doing. It's not to be understood. But I want to encourage you again into prayer like that. Um, praying with confidence in Jesus. So we're going to conclude. And I uh, just want to encourage you, as you might have felt and been able to tell, to agree in the Lord. I want to endeavor to do that with you, to rejoice in the Lord always and to pray and stand firm thus in the Lord. All of this the overarching phrase that stood out to me was in the Lord. We are in the Lord together. Let's stand firm in him for the sake of the gospel, for God's glory and our good. Amen. We're going to finish there, but I think we're going to respond uh, in a particular way. We're going to pray for Megan, which is great, which I'd love to just make part of this response. I've kind of got three parts. So um, if you would like to uh, pray for Megan, that's cool. I think we'll get Megan to kind of stand over here. And if you do want to come and pray for her, that's okay. If you would like to reflect and just sit and listen to a particular song I've lined up, anything that's come up and stirred up in the, uh, in the preach today, then you're really welcome to do that. Also, if you want to pray with someone else that you're comfortable praying with, and uh, you can always ask you know, to lay on hands or not, then uh, that's kind of a, another option as well. So there's kind of three ways that you could respond today. Um, you can take what I've said and take it away and pray for Megan or include it as you pray for her. You can sit there and just reflect uh, with Jesus and, and talk to him about what you've heard and what, what might have been stirred up. Or perhaps you can go and find someone um, to pray with. If, if anything I've said this morning, um, the Holy Spirit's just drawn out to you for what they've said, just need someone to come and pray with me, uh, then that's another option as well. So sit, share, or pray for Megan. They're the three things. And uh, James, do you mind playing that song in the background while we do that? Is that all right, Dell? or should we carry on? Great. Let's have that song and then you can take up one of those options to respond.